Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I was reading an article this week that said it was 20 years ago this month that the movie Titanic came out. Anybody remember that great, encouraging work of art, Titanic? Do you know what I'm talking about? Why that's significant is because this building, if you're not familiar with the history here, if you're new to Toledo, this building up until about seven years ago was a movie theater. The whole goal of the timing of getting the building open was to be open for opening weekend of Titanic because it was, was and, it, and they were right, they thought it would be such a blockbuster. They worked to get the building ready to open. The legends that I've heard from folks that were working here at the time is that they worked around the clock to get the building ready, that just about every carpet installer in Toledo was here that week to get the carpet in, to get things ready. And this building opened to Titanic about 20 years ago this month. Last night was our Christmas extravaganza. And it's kind of our kickoff to December as a church. And we come together and we have a great dinner and we we celebrate, we have a lot of fun, there's an auction. Last night, we raised over $15,000 for Convoy of Hope and Hurricane Relief. And I just thought, that's a cool birthday gift for this building, isn't it? And a whole lot more worth celebrating than a sinking ship. And so thanks, Calvary, uh, for, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, um, for, for being here last night and uh, giving our, our building a proper birthday celebration. One other thing. Um, just, just so you're aware and familiar, as you can tell, uh, we're kind of, we're kind of, and I'm just, as I'm looking around, one, you look, you look great, especially a lot of you who stayed up very late last night, I know, um, but uh, no, don't start. You look great. You look great um, and packed in here, but this room fills up quick in this service, and so just this morning, we started right next door in Auditorium 2. There's a, there's a live worship experience. So we have a worship team that's over there. So if there's a Sunday, um, oftentimes I know that's not been the greatest experience, but we have a pastoral presence and we have a live worship team. Really kind of a whole, like a carbon copy of this service takes place over in that service. We're really excited about that. And that's launching today. And just want to say thanks for your help and your patience with all of that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me today to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We are in a series on the book of Acts uh, we are starting our Christmas season, and you'd say, I don't know how Acts 9 connects back to Christmas. Stay awake for a few minutes. We'll get you there. Hang on. So Acts chapter 9. We, we've been in the book of Acts for a while now. A few weeks ago, we were reading Acts chapter 7, and we were introduced to one of the leaders in the church named Stephen, who actually lost his life for his faith. And at the end of the story of Stephen, we're introduced to another individual named Saul, who's one of the Jewish leaders who is um, opposed to the church. In fact, at the end of the story, it says that he was approving of Stephen's murder and martyrdom. And then when you get to Acts chapter 8, what happens is because of Stephen's martyrdom, there's persecution that comes to the church. Christians begin to flee Jerusalem and go to other parts of the world. They're literally running for their lives. And we saw the story of one of these guys whose name was Philip, and the persecution backfires on the Jewish leaders. Because they persecute the church to stop them, and instead what happens is the church spreads. And Philip's just one example of how the people of God go out and continue to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, and lives are changed. So then we get to Acts chapter 9, and realize this, you've got this story going on of the great things that God is doing in his church, 
And when you get to Acts chapter 9, we're going to be introduced in, in, in detail, kind of in biographical way, to a guy named Saul. In fact, we'll use his name interchangeably today. You'll hear me call him Saul sometimes. You'll hear me call him Paul sometimes. Um, both those names we know him by in the New Testament. We'll kind of tell you why as we get into this if you're not familiar with the story. But let's jump right in. We're going we're gonna to read the first nine verses of Acts chapter 9 today and just kind of make some observations as we go through. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, it says this. Remember, all kinds of things are happening in the church, but Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Man, there's a lot there. Let's, let's start with this. It says Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Sounds like a kind of guy you want to invite to Christmas dinner, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. All of this, Saul's desire to bring harm to the Christians, we kind of trace it back to after the stoning of Stephen. Watch this, Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That word there, destroy the church, is the same word that you would use if a wild animal, we looked at this several weeks ago, if a wild animal were to rip apart its prey. So this is no joke. In fact, Paul tells us, we read this last week, he tells us about himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. How's that for your job description? Persecutor, blasphemer, violent man. If we had to put it in our terms, he was a bully and he was a terrorist. That's who he was. And what he does is, and this is interesting, he goes to the chief priest in Jerusalem who would have served not just as the leader there in Jerusalem, but he would have had spiritual, social, and even some political power anywhere where there was Judaism. And he goes to the chief priest and says, look, these, 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 these people who are following this person, Jesus of Nazareth, they, they've spread. They've left Jerusalem. They've gone to other places. We need to stop them. They're heretics, they're a poison, they're bad news. What I want to do is, will you give me letters from you so that I can go to the synagogue in Damascus and have the people there help me round up these Christians and we will arrest them and we'll bring them back here and then once they're here, then we can deal with them. But they have to be stopped. And so he goes to a place called Damascus. Earlier this year, back in January, there was a group, about 30 of us from Calvary, that were able to take a trip to Israel. And one day while we were there, we, uh, we went, when we were near the Sea of Galilee, up on what's referred to as the Golan Heights, which are these kind of hills and mountains that are around the Sea of Galilee. And when we stood there, you could look out, and from that spot, you could see Lebanon, you could see Jordan, and you could see the nation of Syria from that place. You're, you're kind of able to see all of that. And this is a picture of what we could see when we were up there. Because I want to give you an idea of what the geography might be like in your mind. Looking out there, we're kind of looking out to the north. And if you look over kind of to the right of the picture, do you see how kind of curving up that, that kind of slope, that hill, that mountainside there? There's kind of a little path or a trail that's there. Do you see that there? See that? What our guide told us was, you know, we don't know for sure, but there's a very good chance 
that that might actually itself be a route that Saul would have taken to go from Jerusalem to Damascus. So when you hear them talk about Saul on the road to Damascus, that's, that's what you picture. That's what it would have looked like. That's, that's what it would have been in the northern part of Israel as Saul would have gone. Why go to Damascus? Because Damascus was kind of the closest next big, big city. It was about 135 miles from Jerusalem. It was a six-day journey on foot. And there were tens of thousands of Jewish people there, which meant there were synagogues. There were a lot of Jews that were there. And Paul wanted to go there because he wanted to stop the people who referred to themselves as being a part of the way. Now, I know some people who are in the way. You fill in the blank on that one. But these people considered themselves a part of the way. They, they, they referred to this before they were called Christians. They referred to themselves, the early church, as the way. Because Jesus had said, I am the way and the truth and the life. They realized that the way to salvation was only through Jesus. And this is important that even that early in the Christian faith, they knew where their identity was found. The early church found its identity in Jesus being the way to life. Hope, peace, purpose, life, it's, it's not found in any other place. There's only one way. It's only found through Jesus Christ. And, and look, I don't know who's hearing this message today, whether you're here in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere. I just know this, that if you're searching for purpose in your life, there's only one way that will truly satisfy. And whether he realized it or not, Saul was trying to stop it. When you get further in the book of Acts, we'll see this. I don't know. We'll, we'll probably get there about the year 2023, 2024, something like that. But when you get further in the book of Acts, Twice, in chapter 22 and in chapter 26, he tells his own story. Listen to what he says in, in chapter 26. This is Paul telling his story. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Listen to the language here. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He was taking them prisoners. He would extradite them to Jerusalem. He would find ways to punish them, maybe even with the possibility of death. Do you think he's a little intense about this? Like he was dialed in on this thing. Which, which caused me to ask a question. In this story, who's the bad guy? It's pretty simple. Who's the bad guy in this story? Saul. But is Saul a bad guy? Like, he did horrible things. But was he a horrible person? Like, I had to wrestle with this a little bit. And look, we could answer this all kinds of ways. But let's at least admit one thing. Yes or no? Paul thought he was doing the right thing. Yes or no? Yes. I mean, he was convinced, he says here, that he was doing the right thing, even to the point that he thought he was honoring and obeying God by the pain that he was bringing to the Christians when actually he was motivated by both a misunderstanding of the scriptures as well as jealousy and hatred for another group of people, which, which leads me to something that's really important. 
dial in on this for a minute, because I think this is really critical, especially in this holiday season. It is possible to spend good energy in a bad direction. It's possible for you to spend, to, to put good energy with your life going in a bad direction. Let me give you just a real practical example. Um, after church last Sunday, and over the course of like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we had an army of people come in here and help with all kinds of stuff. They did the Christmas decorating. Did you, did you see any of that? Notice that as you came in? They did a great job, didn't they? I mean, they did an awesome job, so did a great job. And then you had stuff going on, Auditorium 2, things that we had to do to kind of get ready in there. So on Sunday night last week, I was, I was in with Pastor Dan and some of his... Pastor Dan, that's a long time ago. Pastor John, I'm tired today. I stayed up too late. Pastor John and some of his team... Uh, and we were, we were setting stuff up. So in the midst of us setting stuff up, we needed to get a ladder. And we've got quite a few ladders around this building because we have tall ceilings in this building. These are like 30-foot ceilings. Well, we needed to get something and do something that was about 20 feet up. And so we decided to go get a ladder. Well, we had lots of ladders, and we, we store them on different sides of the building because we need different ladders for different things. And so we said, which ladder should we get? And we thought about it and said, well, let's go get this ladder. So we go down to the, the north storage area of this building. So we go, we go down to the end of this building. We get this ladder. It is this massive kind of A-frame ladder. They call it a little giant. It should be called Goliath. It is heavy. We carry this thing. We bring it in there. We extend it. We set it up. We get it all ready to go. We set this thing up, and when we do, we realize we have the wrong ladder for this job. Like, oh, man, because this thing's heavy, and it's, we've got the wrong ladder. So we had some thoughts, then we repented, then we put the ladder back down, right? <laughs> Closed it back up and carried it back. Now, if you've ever done anything like this, you're carrying this ladder, it's banging against your shin, and it's heavy, and this is no fun, and you're doing this whole thing. And so we took it all the way back down to the north end of the building and realized the ladder we need is all the way down on the... So we have to go all the way down now to the south end of the building. I say that like it's miles and miles away. But I mean, we're like, we got to go all the way down to the south end of the building, get an extension ladder, bring it down, set it up. I'm the pastor here at this church, so I ain't going up on that ladder. So somebody else goes up on the ladder. I got to preach, people. I got to preach. So, um, so we do all this, take the ladder down, take it back. So we had a job that probably took this much energy, and it ended up costing us this much energy. Not because we were bad. We just didn't really think it through. We, we didn't really kind of take all the steps. We're just, maybe just a little dumb. I don't know what it is, but right? We didn't do anything wrong. We just put a lot of good energy in a bad direction. Does that make sense? Look, you can do that with your life if you're not careful. And as you go into the holiday season, let me encourage you, be careful what direction you put your energies into. Because this, this month can be a time when we can spend all kinds of energy on things that just aren't fruitful. Let's, let's simply talk about this in the area of our relationships. You might have some situations with other people, and let me give you just, just kind of a word of encouragement. There are some battles that aren't worth fighting. Can I get an amen? There, there are times when you're interacting with other people that the bottom line is, there are relational areas where you go. It's, it's not so much about who's right and who's wrong or what's right and what's wrong. It really comes down to, I just want to win. In this situation, 
I, I just want them to be the loser and me to be the winner. You ever known anybody like that? You ever seen them in the mirror? Here's the bottom line. You can spend a lot of energy. You got real quiet. You can spend a lot of energy going in the wrong direction when some battles just aren't worth fighting. They don't have any real benefit. They're, they're a waste of energy. And you have to ask yourself this question. Is this worth it? The time, the energy, the discussions, the tension in all of this. Am I concerned about the right things? Is my energy going in the right direction? Because know this, people are often convinced that they are right about the wrong things. You can often be convinced that you are right about the things that are wrong. Was Saul? You better believe he was. He was convinced, he said, that he was right, but he was putting himself and expending energy in a way that just was not fruitful and, and I, hope, I hope I don't offend anybody in this, so track with me for, for just a moment on this. But this is really true when you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, interact with people who do not share your same personal, spiritual, or, or biblical convictions, that you'll find yourself at times coming up against situations and people who, who may be convinced that they're right when you know according to God's word that their, their, their priorities, their focus, their thoughts are really not in the right place, and they may not understand your faith. They may not understand what matters to you or the choices you make or the lifestyle concerns that you have or why they, they have a distance from God that's not pleasing to God and it's damaging to themselves, but they can't realize that because they're convinced in, in another way. Are, are you with me? Does this make sense? Watch, watch what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He writes this and he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let me, let me read this again and think about this from the perspective of Paul who wrote this because he knows what it's like to put good energy in a bad direction. He knows what it's like to be convinced that he's right even though he was wrong and he writes, the God of this age, who just, just so you know this, that's not Jesus. He's writing here about the devil who has, has dominion right now in this season of history on earth. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul was moving forward in life, and he was failing to see the light of Jesus and this may be people in your life, individuals who've not yet maybe allowed a, a relationship with Jesus Christ to bring them hope and peace and grace. And sometimes we ask the question, why do they act like they have no hope? And the reason they act like they have no hope is because they have no, right? Understand this, people who cannot see are people who cannot see. And every so often, somebody, somebody will say to me, they'll say, I just don't understand why my coworker or my family member or my friend acts in this way. I don't get why they think that way. I don't get why they think this is what life is all about. And the reason is because they've not yet had an experience where Jesus helps them to see what life is all about. And people who cannot see are people who cannot see, which means we approach them with patience. We approach them with love 
and prayer, and we'll get to this more next week, we share the light of Jesus Christ with them. Does that all make sense? See, that's where Paul finds himself. And so then we get to verse 3. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. It says that Saul neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. If if you look at at Luke's writings, um, both the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts, there's like two places primarily where you'll see this combo, where something happens suddenly that includes a bright light. You'll see it right here in Acts chapter 9. You're going to see it in a couple of weeks when we get to Luke chapter 2, when the angels appear to the shepherds. And so what I want you to see is that there is this theme of times when God shows up, makes his presence known. And isn't that the whole point of Christmas? That's why we've called this series Bright Lights, because there are times when God reveals himself, reveals his presence in a powerful way. And you might not realize it yet, but Acts chapter 9 is a Christmas story. It's a story of how God with us comes and changes us how he shows himself to mankind. And this is, this is where I want to land for the rest of our time here today. I, I want to kind of answer a question. What happens when you see the light of Jesus? When maybe the darkness that you've lived in, and, and I don't know where you're at today spiritually. I don't know your story, your background. I don't know what's going on in your, in your mind or in your calendar or in your checkbook. I, I, I don't know where you're at. But what happens when the light of Jesus, when his presence comes into our lives? Look at how Paul describes the light that he saw. He was telling this story to the king back in Acts chapter 26, and he says this. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. So this isn't the middle of the night. This is noon. And this isn't just like a little light that's on your cell phone. This is a light from heaven, and it comes, and it comes blazing. And and this is important. I want you to see this because you'll see light periodically when you're reading through your Bible. And when you see it there, it's a powerful symbol. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawned. So much so that when, when John describes Jesus coming, he says it this way, John 1, 4, in Jesus was life And that life was the light of all mankind. There's this pattern in scripture that light is a biblical symbol of the presence and glory of God. Light, when you see it in scripture, physically or metaphorically, is a biblical symbol of the presence and glory of God. Sometimes you'll hear a phrase, the Shekinah glory. It's God's presence. It's his glory. And it's a powerful thing. And when Saul came uh, face to face with it, literally with this light from God, you'll see this in just a moment, it left him physically blind. Let's fast forward to the end of the the story we're going to look at today, Acts chapter 9, verse 7. It says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So only Saul's the one who got the whole story. But Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Paul ends up with this uh, short-term physical blindness, which I think was just symbolic 
of the spiritual blindness that he had. And, and here's the deal. I've, I've never been driving down 475 and all of a sudden saw a bright light where I had to pull over and get out of my car on the ground. Anybody else? Like, I've never had that Damascus Road experience, but I do know what it's like to experience the presence of God. Times when God gets your attention. Times when he wants you to know that he's speaking to you. And, and can I just be honest? Like, he wants you to have that. If you've never had it before, he wants you to know and experience his presence. And I'm convinced that for some of you, it's right now. It's today that through his word right now, he's speaking to you about these things. Go to verse 4 of Acts chapter 9. Watch what happens next. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. It says that Saul fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now that, that's pretty forthright. Jesus is, is speaking right to him. Think of the impact of this. Sees a brilliant light, falls to the ground, hears a voice. This isn't special effects. This is not a sideshow. This is the presence of Jesus. And, and if you've never experienced his presence, whether in a very powerful way like we see here or just in a quiet way when he brings his comfort and peace to your heart, know this, the presence of Jesus changes everything. When you experience the presence of Jesus Christ, it changes you. And what's interesting is, is Saul was about as far away from the faith as he could have been. And yet God goes to great lengths to find him. He wants him to know his love. He wants him to know truth. God goes to great lengths to get our attention. And for some of you, God's wanting to do that right now. He's knocking on the door of your heart. God will go to great lengths so that he can get your attention. In fact, it's interesting. It says here that he starts out, Saul's on the ground. He hears a voice. First two words the voice says to him, Saul, Saul. It's kind of a very formal way in, in uh, ancient literature to get someone's attention. You, you say their name twice. What's interesting here, though, and I, I think you, you may know this, but the New Testament is primarily written in the Greek language, right? It's, it's written in Greek because that was the language of that time 2,000 years ago. We read it in, in English because somebody translated it to English. But the name that, that Jesus uses there when out of the light he calls to Saul is not Saul's Greek name. He calls him by his Aramaic name. Here's why. Greek was the language of doing business. But Aramaic and Hebrew would have been the language of Saul's heart. It would have been the language that he would have used in interaction with other people of faith. It would have been the languages that he would have used when he was studying the scriptures. And so God is not doing business with him here. He is reaching into his heart. He is getting his attention. And he's saying to him, Saul, Saul, I'm right here. I'm talking with you. And he says to him, why do you persecute me? Interesting question. But right out of the gate, there's something that Jesus wants to do here. He's got Saul's attention. He's, he's grabbed him by the heart. And he asks him, why do you persecute me? Here's, here's why. When you encounter Jesus, your life is changed. We, we talk about this as a church, that life change is our vision as a church. And know this, life change begins with who we are. When you have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ... That life change begins with who we are. At some point, God has to help us. Jesus has to help us to see who we are, what's really going on in our lives. 
And he starts with Saul by saying, Saul, what you're doing is a bad thing. This is one of the things that's actually really interesting about when something comes out into the light. When something comes out into the light, you really see what it's like. I've talked about this before, and today's a a good day since we talked about this building's birthday. But if, if you're new to Toledo, this was a movie theater. And if you're familiar with movie theaters, movie theaters don't have a whole lot of lighting. The truth is, when, when we were uh, renovating the building, a good third of our renovation budget was just to get electricity and lights into these rooms so that we'd be able to see in here. Because when you go to the movies, you don't have to see, do you? Which is kind of nice. Because when we got in here and turned the lights on, you should see 13 years of soda pop <laughs> and popcorn grease. Candy bars. Some of you, if you're lucky, you may still have gum under your seat. Go ahead. Reach down there now. Everybody, see if you win a piece of Juicy Fruit. It's yours. You can keep it. Right? It's nasty. It was nasty. Once we came in and turned on the light, then we saw how nasty this room was. There's something important about this that you see. Because if you're going to take a step towards Jesus, it has to start by you recognizing what's going on in your own life. A confrontation with our sin is the way to righteousness. At some point, you have to have, and and honestly, confrontation is the right word because it's not pleasant. You have to have a confrontation with what's really going on in your life apart from God before you can take the step to realize how much you need God. Confrontation with our sin is the way to righteousness. About four weeks ago, I was here on a, on a Saturday for a meeting in the morning and had done some work around here. We were going to have a family kind of birthday thing that night. And so I headed home. I got home about 2 o'clock, and I, and I said to Ron, I'm going to run some stuff downstairs, and then I'll bring up some, some chairs from the basement because we need some more chairs around the table. And so I got my bag. I'm going downstairs, and I, I moved down the stairs, and we've got carpet in our basement. And I got down to the bottom step, and when I hit the bottom step, my foot hit it, and it went, <laughs> carpet doesn't make that noise naturally. Well, I was like, well, that's weird. I wonder what. And I put my other foot down. And then I took a few more steps. And I realized that carpet's wet. And come to find out, our whole basement, just the whole basement floor was just soaked. That carpet was just soaked. So now I have a challenge on my hands. What do you do in a moment like that? You cry. Right? It's the first thing you do. You just cry. It's not going to matter. The floor's already wet. You can cry as much as you want. And then I have to figure something out. Why is it like this? Because I'm not going to be able to fix this until I know why it's like this. Did something break? Is there a flood somewhere? What's going on in this? And come to find out, sump pump went out, and there had been rain, and now as a result of that, we got water all over our basement. But here's the good news. Once I knew what was wrong, then I could fix it. And do you remember like that Sunday night, Monday, when we got a ton of rain several weeks ago? This was the Saturday before that. I'm thankful it happened before and not during, right? Here's the deal. I couldn't fix what was wrong until I knew what was broken. But once I knew what was broken, then I could, and I fixed it by myself, thank you very much. Then I could fix, you think your pastor's incompetent. Then I could fix what was wrong. Look, confrontation of our sin is the first step towards righteousness. And when you take a look at yourself and you say, This is where I need God's help. This is where I need his work in my life. This is where I'm far from God. That's the first step to get in that direction. Here's why. Because we see ourselves more clearly when we're in the presence of Jesus. 
And when Saul found himself in the presence of Jesus, it showed him who he was and his need for him. And here's what that means today. If, if you're here and you're weary or you're feeling condemnation or if you're hopeless or if you're confused, know this. God doesn't want to leave you sitting in your wet basement by yourself. He's showing you that so you'll know what's broken and then realize that there's only one person who can fix it. And so he had to start with Saul and say, Saul, why, why are you doing this? See, the first step towards salvation is realizing you need a savior. And whether you realize it or not, you need one. Which takes us to this next part. Acts chapter 9, verse 4, again, says he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied. Saul must have been so confused because there he is on the ground. He's blind. He doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, who are you? Who, who's saying that I'm persecuting them? But he knew something. Remember what he said? Who are you, Lord? He knew this was a divine presence. He knew there was something going on here. And he knew that he needed to figure out who this was. And so he says, who are you, Lord? Get this. When, when the light of Jesus comes into your life, when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, life change not only shows you who you are so that you can see what's broken so that God can help you fix it, but life change also shows us who Jesus is. When you experience him, then you know him. You see him more clearly. Life change shows us who Jesus is. I, I want to show you something in this passage that in just those, those questions from Jesus, why are you persecuting me? Jesus unlocks something so powerful that helps Saul really see who he is because we see Jesus more clearly when we are in his presence. Look, if you're facing that weariness or that confusion or that lack of purpose in life, would you open yourself up, not, not just to truth, but to literally the presence of Jesus? Because when you're in his presence, you see him more clearly. About three years ago, um, very generous person here in the church said, look, if, if we'd be willing to start putting the services on television, they would initially do the, do the initial year of funding of that. So we hadn't really thought about doing that, but we, we put our services on TV. If you're not familiar, it's on about four times a week on a few different stations, and information's on our website. It's kind of a cool thing, and it's really had a, had a powerful impact. Just about every week, we hear a story about how God uses the television program to bring life change to others. One of the unintended consequences, though, is that every so often when I'm out and about, people will recognize me. And so I was at the doctor's office not too long ago, and I walk up to the doctor's office, you know, and you, you go up to the window, and you hand him your driver's license, your insurance card, and I hand him to the very nice lady behind the counter, and she looks up at me, and she goes, are you a pastor? Which I'm always afraid to answer, just to be honest. <laughs> and I usually, my usual answer is I just kind of look at him and go, Why? Like that, because I want to know, like, is that good or are you hostile? Like, you know, because if I can be somebody else, I'll, I'll do it. You know, so I, I'm, you know, it's in the moment, in the moment. So I said, why? And she goes, I, I watch you on TV. And so we have this really nice conversation about, you know, do you have a church? And kind of we talk just a little bit, you know. And so she's got my insurance card and she's doing it all. And I'm kind of standing there awkwardly now at this point. It's like, well, don't blow your nose or anything. You know, you got to kind of be on your best behavior. And all of a sudden she looks up and honestly, she looks up and she does one of these. She goes, she kind of looks me up and down. And she goes, you know what they say is true. 
she says, the camera does put 10 pounds on you. She goes, she goes, you're much thinner in real life. I don't know what to do with that. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to respond to that. Am I, am I honored? Am I going on a diet? Like, I don't know, I don't know what that means. I just know this. She didn't really see me until she was in my presence. I know people that have all kinds of questions and all kinds of doubts, and they, they keep pushing God away because they can't figure him out, and they're trying to figure him out from a distance. What if you just said, God, I want to be in your presence? Make yourself real to me. Make yourself known to me. Because once you're in his presence, then you can see him more clearly. And look at what Saul saw. Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't persecuting him. He, he never persecuted Jesus. He didn't start persecuting until after Stephen was dead. So he hadn't persecuted Jesus. And yet Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Saul in his mind is thinking, I can't persecute you. You're dead. And you're talking to me, which means you're not dead, which is a light bulb moment where Saul realizes this Jesus, he's not dead. Jesus is alive. And look, that's important for you to get too, because for many of us, Jesus is just a story and he's just a myth and he's just another character in history. And understand this, Jesus is alive and he was alive and well when he talked to Saul and I believe he's alive and well and can talk to you. And I don't know if he's going to show up somewhere on Reynolds Road or not. But I do know that he can speak to your heart. And listen to what he says. He says, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting your people. And Jesus' simple question makes this very clear. He says, Saul, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Because when you mess with my people... You mess with me. And this should be an encouragement to you. Because if somebody's messing with you, they're messing with Jesus. When disease or lack or pain or fear comes your way, you're not dealing with that on your own. Jesus is with his people. And when he shone his light in that moment, he not only showed Saul what Saul needed to fix, he showed Saul that Jesus was there and he was with his people. And that's pretty good news, isn't it? Three of us are stoked about this. It's good news that Jesus is with us. So get, get this, because this is powerful. Watch what happens. Jesus shows up to solve a terrorist. And just by making himself known, and we'll see this next week, he becomes Paul the evangelist. Like, like everything changes because when you're in the presence of Jesus, you not only see yourself and what's broken, but Jesus shows up and says, I can fix it. And that's a good word. And, and that's where so many of us need to just find hope today. That the light of his presence, the light of Jesus can come into your life and bring hope even in the midst of what's broken in your life. The problem is that for a lot of us, we stay right there. We stay right there stuck. And we're happy because we know that Jesus can give us forgiveness, and he can give us hope, and we can give us life, and we invite his presence into our lives, and we rest in his hope and his joy and his peace and his forgiveness, and then we're just stuck there, and that's not where he wants us to be. Watch this. Last part of this story, Acts chapter 9, verse 6. I love what Jesus says. Can you imagine poor Saul? 
He's, he's literally been blinded by the light. And now Jesus says this, verse six, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. We'll, we'll unpack all this next week, but get this. Life change begins with who we are. It shows us who Jesus is. But Jesus did not let Saul stay in the middle of the road. Every so often when I would get on my dad's nerves when I was a kid, I remember this so clearly. I would get on my dad's nerves, and sometimes he would say to me, why don't you go play in the middle of the street? <laughs> Anybody ever, ever heard that? My dad used to say that to me. Why don't you go play in the middle of the street? He didn't mean it. He might have. I don't know. Maybe there were issues we didn't sort out, but like, but like Jesus didn't. Saul, get out of the middle of the road. Nobody wants you to stay there blind. I have something for you to do. It's not enough for you to just sit there and be glad that you know me now. I have a purpose for your life. The tragedy would be if he would have just stayed there. Watch this. Life change leads us to obedience. And for many of us, we, we think that just knowing about Jesus or going to church on a Sunday is enough. But life change takes us one more step. And we're going to unpack this next week. But when the light of Jesus shines in our lives, it leads us to a place where we take a step of obedience and we trust him and we follow him. Look at what Jesus said about this. John chapter 12, verse 24. And can I just say this? I know you're hungry. Give me three more minutes. Because for some of you, this is the most important thing you'll hear all day. John chapter 12, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. True, right? You got a seed, you just keep it in a packet, it's worthless. You put it in the ground, it decomposes. It dies. But only when it dies does life come from it. Are you tracking with Jesus here? Okay, so he says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus says, Saul. Get up and go. Jesus says to you, if you try to hold on to your own life, at some point you're going to lose it. But if you'll be willing to take what you have because of who he is and because of what he can do, and if you will entrust your life to him, like that's the thing that for so many of us, it keeps us from Jesus working in our lives today. And for some of us, it's what keeps us from actually receiving his salvation. And he's the only way to it is because we won't release our life and entrust it to him and get up and go and follow him the way that he asks us to. It's only when we truly surrender our lives to him that we actually find life for ourselves. So here's the challenge in front of you. We must choose what life we want to live. Do you want to live life for yourself? Because you'll lose it. But if you'll give your life to him, the, the one who will go to great lengths to get your attention, not because he wants to do business with you, but because he loves you. And once you get to know him who's alive and who's with you, who died for you so that you could know his forgiveness and his grace and his strength, aren't you thankful for his forgiveness and his grace and his strength? That once you know that, it changes everything. 
But you can't just sit in the middle of the road. You got to get up and live for him. Take up your cross and follow him, he says. Life only finds meaning when you're willing to entrust it to him. When I was a, when I was a freshman in college, I was going to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I'd only been there a couple of months. I was, uh, my, my college roommate was my best friend in high school. And I remember it was one night, I don't know, probably three or four in the morning, like where my bed was, it's kind of up against the wall. And if I just sat up in bed, I would look straight, the door was right there. So if the door was open, I'd just look straight out the door if I sat up in bed. And I remember I was in bed one night, fast asleep, and all of a sudden I heard this uh, like noise. And so, you know, you're sleepy, you're kind of disoriented, you're trying to figure it out. And I could tell somebody's messing with the lock on the door to, to my room. And so you kind of have that moment where you're trying to decide, is it like fight or flight? And I wasn't sure which one I was yet. I thought if I could, if I could get on the other side of my roommate, then he'd have to deal with it. You know, I'm thinking of that, right? We're going to just wake up first. So fight or flight, I'm trying to figure it out. You're all disoriented, you're not sure. And just outside the door to our room was those, you know how if you're like in a hallway and the power goes out, there's emergency lights that are up above. You know what I'm talking about? And the lights go out and it's all dark and then the battery operated emergency lights kick on and they shine a light in the hallway so people can see where they're going and stuff. Well, I didn't know that the power had gone out. Electricity was out. I'm still just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. All of a sudden, okay, I kind of sit up, I'm looking, the door to my room opens all I can see is the bright light coming in from this emergency light and the form of someone standing in my doorway. And I was like, it's the Lord. You know, you just kind of had that moment. It wasn't the Lord. It was Tim, my RA. And Tim comes in. He's like, guys, power's out. You got to remember, 25 years ago, we didn't have alarm clocks on our phones. We just had phones. You had cords, right? So if you had an alarm clock, you either had to plug it in or you had to wind it up. Does anybody remember wind up alarm clocks? You know what I mean? And so Tim's coming in and he's like, gosh, it's the middle of the night, power's out, probably won't come on. Maybe you want to do something so you don't miss your class tomorrow. And I'm kind of thinking, that's a great excuse to miss my class tomorrow, right? But what he was saying was, hey, get up, because if you don't, you're going to miss what's ahead. And I needed a heavenly messenger with a blinding light to come and tell me this. If you knew Tim, you might not say heavenly messenger, but you get the point, right? Because I needed to be reminded that if I wasn't aware of what was going on, I was going to miss the whole thing. Jesus came in a bright light to Saul and showed him who Saul was, who Jesus was, and how important it was that he surrendered everything to follow him. And he's saying the same thing to some of you today. So can I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes, whether you're here in auditorium one, or you're watching on a screen somewhere. And here's, here's my question. Whether it's your first time in church or you, you're here every Sunday. If you'd say, Jesus, today, especially moving into this holiday season, I need the light of your presence in my life right now. Would you just raise your hand? You know what situation you're facing. Jesus, I need your presence. I need your strength. I need your help. I need the light of your presence in my life right now. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. You put it right back down. Second question, maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. You talk about, Chad, about um, giving your life to him, but that's, that's not anything that I've ever done. And yet I realize today that, 
that what I need more than anything else is him. I've, I've tried so many other things and I've tried to do this on my own. But what I need today is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe even you had that relationship once before, but somewhere along the lines, you, you've kind of strayed from that. And maybe today you need to begin or you need to begin again a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? It's just between you and God, but you'd say today, I need to begin or begin again that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Anybody else? I just want to pray with you. You'd say today, I need to begin or begin again that relationship. Anybody else? Thanks. Here's what we're going to do. If, if, if you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, or if you know that today you need him to be, would you pray this prayer? Very simple prayer. I'll, I'll lead us. You repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending your son to die for my sin. Lord, I give my life to you. I ask that you forgive my sins. Change my life. May I know you and live for you with all that I am, in Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or if you wanna know a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we've got some cards like this uh, on the outside uh, entrances of each of our auditoriums. It says, I have decided, grab one of these, take them to our Connection Center. We've got friends there that would love to pray with you. We have a Bible we wanna give to you and just wanna talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this day and for your word. Thank you for your work in our lives. God, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Lord, send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.